people understand, here's why I'm here every day. I'm here not to process um, accounts payable receipts. I'm not here to do demand gen campaigns. I'm not here just to hire four new people in IT this week. I'm here to help people make a, you know, make a difference in the moments that matter for my customers, you know, depending on what the purpose is for your, for your organization. Welcome, Trust Builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust, where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders, and your team, your customers, and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hey, Trust Builders. This week's episode is going to introduce you to someone that I really admire and think is just terrific at what she does, Carla Johnson. She has been working in marketing and innovation for over 20 years, and uh, she's written 10 books, but her new book, Rethink Innovation, is just filled with all sorts of practical, pragmatic things that you can do as a business leader to improve the level of innovation you have in your business. You know, innovation is one of those things that sort of you think, well, what is that? But she makes it very practical and understandable that you may need to innovate over a barrier you have, or it might be you need to create an innovation because your customers are telling you they need something, or you might need an innovation just to be competitive in a marketplace that's ever-changing. And she has very, very great tactical as well as strategic ideas. And I can't wait for you to meet her and for her to share with you. I love this interview because I love her way that she approaches it with very systematic ways that you can think about innovation and actually create it in the way that you do business. And I love that she has these innovative styles that a team can look at What's your mix of the way you approach innovation and see, you know, are, do we have the right fit for the kind of innovation we're trying to make? And do we have people that maybe need to step up and change up their style a bit, which I think is really interesting too. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed making it for you. And uh, I hope that you will look to create more innovation because to me, innovation and trust are like peanut butter and jelly that you really need trust in order to create innovation. And so I think she's an important part of our trust journey. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to Lead with Trust, Carla. So happy to have you here today. So excited. Uh, I know I've known you for a while, but maybe you could introduce yourself to our trust builders here on the podcast. Absolutely. And it's been fun getting to know you and learning so much from you, Sue, about trust and its connection with innovation. And that's my work. I'm a marketing and innovation strategist, and I've been in this line of work 
gosh, I've been in marketing for almost 25 years and innovation was a natural part of, of the work as it evolved because there's so much between brands and customers and also companies and employees and just people on a team and in between teams that the success really hinges on trust, whether you are looking at marketing, whether you're looking at innovation. And what I've worked on essentially my whole career is teaching people how to rethink the work that they do and the impact that they can have. And when you when you get to work with people to help them reevaluate and relook at their work, even that itself takes a lot of, of trust building along the way to do that. So that's been really fun to dig deep into your work and bring these two components together. That's so exciting. I you know I know when you think about innovation, some people I listen to a lot of CEOs doing making presentations and they they talk a lot about innovation, but I'm not sure everyone exactly agrees on what it is. So I'd be really interested in knowing from your point of view what exactly is innovation. And I have a, I appreciate the question because I have a a broader definition of innovation. And and again, what I'm looking at is helping people rethink innovation. And that was the name of my book that came out earlier this year. And when I looked at the habits of the most prolific innovators in the world, it wasn't that they were amazing product innovators or service line innovators or things like that. It was that they had this ability to consistently come up with ideas that were new, great, and reliable. And that's a very different definition than how many people think of innovation. But I looked at it as in a new idea is something that hasn't been done before or hasn't been done before in this way in your industry. So, for example, um, I like to talk about the McDonald's drive through layout because it was patterned after a Formula One pit stop. Very new and very innovative. However, it's not enough just to be a new idea. Then there's the great component. And that's something that has an emotional aspect to it. People get excited about it. And that's something um, advertising great David Ogilvy talks about. When you hear an idea that's truly a great idea, it makes you jealous that you didn't think of it yourself. And then the last one is a reliable idea. And a reliable idea is a, an idea that makes you money. But if you have only an idea that has one of these three components, it's still not an innovative idea. It's the combination of all three together. And then understanding what it takes to come up with these new, great, and reliable ideas on a consistent basis is really what makes a, a person, a team, or a, a company's culture truly innovative. That sounds, I love the specific specificity of that, but also uh, it really makes a lot of sense uh, that you need those three components. And it seems like uh, those would be hard to come by on a regular basis. But uh, I know in your book, you talk about perpetual innovation and a process for perpetual innovation. So I don't know anybody out here that owns a business that wouldn't want that. How, how do we get that? <laughs> yeah, and, and again, as, as I look at innovation, it doesn't have to be those industry, you know, upside down kind of disruptive ideas. There's, there's definitely a place and a need and a desire for those. I, I'm not going to deny that. But I think what is the most helpful for any business of any size is to be able to consistently come up with these ideas that have a big impact. And when we start with that as a goal, it's kind of like saying, I want to make a video that's viral. 
you take away the opportunity for inspiration because you're so focused on the outcome. And I spent five years working on this book. And a big part of it is because I really wanted to look into interview research, watch the work of people who I thought were prolific innovators, but not the ones that are typically in the limelight, like not the Steve Jobs, you know, everybody writes about him and reads about him. But I wanted to look at people who were just, you know, essentially everyday innovators and and what is it that they're doing and people who are perpetually innovative you know consistently coming up with those ideas over a long period of time that has this impact and it was very interesting when i realized that they all followed the same process whether they realized it or not and the first step that they follow is that they're highly observant of the world around them and it's so interesting when you're around a person like this, it's almost being around, um, you know, a child or a toddler where they notice everything and highly innovative people are like that. They'll notice the font size on a menu. They'll, I know one guy I would, um, who I worked with, he was fascinated by the different icons that walk, walk lights, like walk or don't walk lights around the world were like, and why they were so different. And, and we take a lot of our life for granted because we're busy or we're preoccupied with our phone or our to-do list or whatever else. But innovators really are highly, highly observant to the world around them. And then they're able to take all of these different things that they observe and move it into the second step, and that's distill. So that's where you start to connect the dots between all these things that seem random that you're observing, but they connect the dots and distill them into patterns. So that's the second step. And they start to see, okay, maybe it's about how are we communicating with people in different ways that we don't realize are different? Or, you know, maybe we can communicate simply in ways that are more um, relatable to local cultures than we realize. You know, if you take the example of the different icons used for walk and don't walk signs. And then this, these two steps sound, they are fun when you can just become more aware and observant and then start to find those patterns. But it's really kind of a theoretical part of the process. Now, the, the third step is when we start to move from theory into reality and the work that you do every day, and that's relate. And what we're looking at is how do we take all these things that we've observed and the patterns that we've distilled it into and now relate that into the work that we do. And that's where the biggest opportunity to truly stand out, be different, um, deliver work that's inspired can happen, but it is absolutely the step that most people or teams or companies fail at because it's hard. And what I see is that if, even if people will observe something uh, their brand is doing, find, you know, distill it into a pattern, many times they just copy and paste it then like that's their idea. But instead of taking that extra step and relating it and saying, like, what is the essence behind that idea that made it work? Is it about communication? Is it about building a community? Is it about shareability? That's the relate step. And then you move into generating ideas. And then the last step is pitching them. Because I, I found that even, even the greatest ideas can be killed by bad pitches. And then it's, it's the perpetual innovation process is understanding that you can go through this over and over and over again. And it's not something you do on top of everything else that you have to do at work every day. It's how you begin to learn to think about the work that you do and solving you know, the constant problems that come up every day or being able to take advantage of opportunities 
that are right in front of you. And a lot of times people don't realize it because they're not aware and, and open and paying attention to what's going on around them. It kind of reminds me of people I've met that have, I think we would describe as visionaries uh, because they they are able to, they're very detail-oriented. I remember one uh, CEO that I worked with he always carried his yellow tablet and he, he had, he would, but if you just walk from the garage back into the, into the office and they'd have two pages filled out exactly. stuff that he saw. Uh, and, and then he would, he would connect things in a way that nobody, nobody else would have. Uh, and it was, it was extraordinary what he would, what he, he would be able to do, but it's, yeah, I was thinking it'd be hard to press to find someone who really could do all those steps like you may be, you may connect the dots, but you may not really be able to articulate it in a meaningful way or definitely not pitch it. So how do you, I can see where you'd need a team that kind of you helps can. you. Yeah. I mean, d- definitely as you look at the dynamics of bringing people together and, and the different perspectives, it adds richness to all of this. But I also look at that balance between introverts and extroverts. And I've learned so much about this because I'm fairly extroverted, but my husband's very much an introvert. And learning how to give people space so that they can go through this process themselves. And then also having time to come together and to be able to talk it through. So the first one is what introverts need. But to be able to come together and talk things through is what extroverts need. So both are are very important and and very valuable. But I think we don't often realize how important the dynamics of both having the quiet time and the time together is necessary to really bring out the best ideas that have a lot of different perspectives. And I think it's also important to look at who do you have in these groups when you're looking at coming up with the teams? Is it the same people that you always have? And I'm not saying they're not great idea people, but the dots that they've collected in their observation stage, you know, in their life and life experiences are the same. And so even if you can change things up by swapping out a a person or two on a team, it really makes the whole process new and fresh. And the ideas that you come out can be very different. Now, it can make a team feel very disjointed by doing this because they're used to going through this, you know, the process or or everything, you know, they know how everybody else is going to respond and they know, you know, how to play off of each other. But I think even then what we're doing is is taking advantage of familiarity when what we want here is the infusion of a different perspective. And I think sometimes familiarity while it can be helpful and efficient, it also makes us a little lazy. Yeah, you get, yeah I think that's how you get groupthink. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so you're, you don't, you're, not, you're not able to even understand there's a wall there that you need to go under, over, or through. That's <laughs> yeah. right. So I know you talk about this being a perpetual process. So I guess they're just eventually, you're just sort of, how does that kind of roll out in a business when you sort of have this as a perpetual process? Yeah, and, and it can it can work in a lot of different forms. So um, one of the companies that I profile, Park Mobile in Atlanta, Georgia, they do this constantly. And they have a little bit more formalized process and culture around it. And a lot of that works so well because they have a really strong culture of trust to start with. 
they set aside a week every six months and they shut the company down completely. And they communicated ahead of time to all of their partners and, and all of their customers to say, this is an innovation week. And this is what we're working on you know, for this period. Sometimes they make it, um, I think they flip back and forth. Like one time the week is completely blank slate. And then the next time they say, okay, we're working on a very specific part of the business so that they can um, make the ideas more broad or more specific depending on, on what they need. And so with that, what they're looking at is how do we consistently come up with these ideas that help us in in a part of the business that we focused on. Like some, if it's broader, it's like, you know, in your area of the business, whatever it is, or however a team comes together, it doesn't have to be a specific team. You know, tell us what you think would be great and and what would work well. So in that case, it's it's a perpetual innovation process because it it happens in a concentrated way every single six months in a week period. And then their weeks end with having to pitch the ideas. But then they're also trained on how to do it. So, you know, sometimes you have a small problem in your department and that's something that can be fixed and it doesn't need to wait six months until it's a formalized um, event. For example, there was a woman in the accounting department who found that the team was spending 40 manual hours running a report. And she said, there has to be a better way. And she said, well, you know, the IT people that I met, this is how they do it. So she looked at what they did and she essentially transplanted that process into finance, taught herself how to program, wrote a program to automate the process. And in a short amount of time, took a process that was 40 hours a month and turned it into about, you know, 17 minutes. Oh my. And when, <laughs> yeah. And when you look at that, I mean, that that's highly innovative because this person is very observant. They're, they're doing something that their team hadn't done before. And it's, it's a reliable idea because it ended up having a, you know, a big financial impact, especially when you look at the cumulative effect over time and also how it inspired other people in that department and even outside of traditional product development to look at opportunities to innovate. Yes, that's exciting. I hope you're enjoying the show. Sorry to interrupt. But if you're looking to improve any area of your life, one of the first things you'll want to do is to figure out where you are today and where the gaps are, and then really get clear on where you want to go. Visionary leaders need clarity, like human beings need oxygen. It's essential. That's why my team and I put together a great starting point for you on your trusted leader journey. It's called the Trusted Leader Profile, and it will allow you to take charge of the atmosphere in your business by helping you understand your trusted leader style and how you can elevate the level of trust in your business. With understanding, you can make better choices and grow the level of trust and your results. For being a listener to the show, it's 100% complimentary for you to access the profile. All you have to do is go to www.sudico.com slash profile. And Sudico is S-U-D-Y-C-O. Again, that's www.sudico.com slash profile. I really believe that the profile will help you understand the norms you bring to your business and unlock the next level of leadership for you. 
So I know that you've also created innovation styles. So can you tell us about the styles and sort of how would we use those if we wanted to increase innovation? Yeah, so I call them the six archetypes. And what I found is, I call them the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs. Like we have, you know, two bookend stereotypes of what it's like to be an innovator. There's the, you know, very left brain strategist, Bill Gates, you know, kind of, I think of spreadsheets and and a lot of numbers and and um, that kind of approach to innovation, almost looking at how do we pseudo prove an idea before we move forward with it. And then there's the Steve Jobs who seemed to be so right-brained and, and he talked about, you know, it's easy when you look in reverse and you can connect the dots, but there's so many more aspects besides just being the strategist, which is one of the archetypes and then the provocateur, which is another archetype. And that's how I see more Steve Jobs, a provocateur, always pushing the status quo and what can be done because there's, there's a lot that has to happen to have an idea be successful. One of those is understanding how to collaborate across teams, you know, but with people inside a team and and across teams, because you need to get buy-in. You need to have other people's opinions. You need to understand how to finance an idea. You know, if it needs a budget consideration, you have to understand, you know, this, this may be something that changes behavior. So how do we collaborate to make this idea um, more effective? There's the psychologist, and that person is really focused on empathy. Like, what will it feel to be the like the consumer, so to speak, of this idea? And is it just a, a great idea because it's us as a team or a brand, or is it a great idea from the perspective of the person who would consume this this idea? And then we look at the culture shaper, and I think one of the things that's really important about innovation. And building trust is the stories that you're able to tell because that's what brings an idea to life and makes it very real. And and then the last one is an orchestrator. And an orchestrator is a person who understands how to maneuver all of those political stepping stones across an organization and and get buy-in early on from the right people, um, is willing to have those difficult conversations up front when they need to be done. And a lot of those other, I think, um, management sort of aspects. And when you put all six of these archetypes together, then you're able to understand the dynamics of what needs to contribute to an idea to make it successful. Now, people always ask me, do you, does your team need to have one of each of these kind of archetypes on your team? And the answer is not necessarily if the people on your team are able to understand the thought process and the dynamics of other archetypes that your team doesn't have. But if people want to take this assessment, they can go to my website, carlajohnson.co. And on the homepage is the assessment there. And um, you can, you can take it and, and on your results, it shows how your, how your particular archetype interacts with the others and then also when things are going well and when things are a struggle, you know, sometimes we're not the same person <laughs> on our good days versus our challenging days and, and understanding what that looks like between each of the archetypes as well. I love, I love having that ability to kind of see the window to the world of what it would take to see myself as an innovator, but also the people that might be be surrounding me. And if I was going to put together a team, who would I want on my team or who do I need? Like where are my weaknesses? Where are my strengths? 
Uh, I, I love that idea because it, it gives uh, you specific things you can do. Uh, and I love that idea. I know you and I've talked about this, but uh, how do you see trust and innovation kind of being tied together and one affecting the other? You know, and it's it's been a fun topic, fun relationship to explore with you, because one of the things that I see in innovation a lot is that people are not going to stick their neck out because it's, you know, it's the, I'll, I raise my hand with a new idea and that, that pushed some political boundaries or, or no-nos within a culture and, and uh, you get your head chopped off. So there's, so there's that of, of um, ruffling people's feathers. There's also the thing of um, trust. If I raise my hand for this idea, are you going to mock me? Am I, you know, am I going to have all of these negative, negative um, feelings about just expressing what I think might be an idea? And even if, you know, if it's a great idea, great, but not every idea is a great idea. I mean, let's be honest with a lot of things, you have to go through some not so great stuff to get to the real gems. And I think that's another aspect is that people say they want innovation, but they're not willing to work through, I guess, the the lessons along the way. I hesitate to use the word failure, but that's how some people perceive it. And, and there has to be that level of trust with people in their organizations that if they pursue an idea and it doesn't work out as planned, that they're not going to get fired, they're not going to get reprimanded, you know, that there won't be alternative consequences. And I think having that culture of trust first is paramount if you're ever going to get to innovation that is something that will affect the performance of your company. And I think as 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 you look at leadership in an organization, you have to be a trusted leader to be a true innovator. I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, I, I think the greatest... Uh... Tragedy for any business would be that someone, and it could be any place in your whole organization, has ideas that are pent up inside and never get shared. Or if they get shared, they get you know foo fooed, <laughs> and so then they never they never share again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, boy, the capacity that you've lost in your business is just exponential because if you nurtured that because you had a, a culture that allowed them to share their ideas and maybe one idea combined with another idea that combined with another idea to create a breakthrough, uh, you know, that would be like orders of magnitude great for your, for your company. And I don't see very many companies that actually do that. I don't either. And I think that's why when we do find one, we hold them up and, you know, put them on a pedestal as the way to do it. And I think it's also why when we look at teams and the makeup of teams that people tend to go with the safe bets. Okay. If we get a strategist on a team, they should be able to figure out how to do this. But you get a provocateur on a team who's always pushing that status quo, unless your culture is very much like that, you know, like an apple, but I think they still you know, had enough trust issues with different things. Um, You can't move forward in ways that will truly help you realize your potential. And, and, and people, people, especially in this last 18 months, two years, people want to bring them whole, bring their whole selves to work. 
And if you don't trust that you're able to do that when you come to work every single day, it means you're leaving part of who you are at home. And then that also means you're not bringing your whole self to the ideas, to the opportunities, to everything that you contribute to a company. And I think that's a, that's a huge loss that companies don't realize when they look at trust and at innovation and at performance, because it does have a bottom line impact. Yeah. And what we were talking about before we started too, just the whole idea of complying instead of people creating a trusted atmosphere and a trusted leadership that people are just complying with what you're asking them to do. You're not doing anything to provoke their creativity. Well, it is, it can't come forward uh, as, as you and I've talked about until you've created an atmosphere that allows for the creativity to emerge uh, and you've created the high trust culture, you can't have innovation. It just exactly. isn't going to happen. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, maybe maybe lightning might strike once, but it's it even that the lightning might die because nobody listened to them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That is so true. That is so true. And I think about I, um, my husband and my daughter went to Iceland just recently and just got back. But I think about the interactions I've had with brands in helping them prepare for their trip. And I'm a big fan of REI. And it didn't matter what issue we had or what we were looking for. I knew that whoever I spoke to at REI could solve my problem. I knew they didn't have to go to a manager. I knew I didn't have to wait. You know, I, I knew these things. And I, that's one of the things that I love about the company is that it's very evident that they have a culture of trust, that management trust, especially frontline employees, because of how they're allowed to handle things just right there on the spot. That's awesome. And it, and it, and it stands out in your mind. So that's a great, that leads to my next question, which is what advice can you give to leaders who really want to start innovating? Well, you know, my, my very first question to a leader who says we have an issue with innovation and we're not able to realize a, you know, our true potential. My first question is, have you articulated your purpose? Like, do you know why you're in business? And it's never about the profits, but it's about what, what you're serving up, the difference that you're, you're making in the lives of your customer. So Clayton Christensen would talk about this from the perspective of, you know, what's the job to be done? Um, Roy Spence, this is probably my favorite book on organizational purpose that's out there. His book is called, It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. Um, You know, he, he says, what is it that makes you wake up and get excited every single day when you get out of bed, you know, that you would do even if you didn't get paid to do? And Simon Sinek talks about it as in finding your why. But when you have a purpose-led organization, it's highly conducive to innovation because people understand, here's why I'm here every day. I'm here not to process um, accounts payable receipts. I'm not here to do demand gen campaigns. I'm not here just to hire four new people in IT this week. I'm here to help people make a, you know, make a difference in the moments that matter for my customers, you know, depending on what the purpose is for your, for your organization. And there's a, um, I think it's in, um, it's in the movie about the women who, um, 
uh, Hidden Figures. It's in that movie. And oh, Kevin Costner, they, there's a scene where Kevin Costner's walking down the the um, hallway and he asks the janitor what he's doing. And he says, well, I'm mop, not mopping the floor. He says, no, you're not. You're helping to send a person to the moon, the first person to the moon. And when we shift and start to look at our work in that manner, one, it it's highly conducive to trust because everybody is there for the same clearly articulated reason. And it's also perfect for sparking creativity and innovation because we all know what what we're trying to create here. And so many cultures and organizations get bogged down in the minutia of, well, I'm trying to get this campaign out the door and I don't care that you need to do X, Y, Z. This is why I'm here. But in organizations that are driven first by, by purpose, there's that pause to say, okay, we'll, you know, but between what we both want, how do we move it forward based on the purpose that we're trying to achieve here? And that a lot of times begins to take away um, conflict and dissension. And it reminds people this, this is why we're here. Remember? And, that's, and I that's see a, in a lot of organizations where they, they have multiple purposes, depending on what silo you're in. Exactly. Depending what time of year it is. And if you're publicly traded, then it's very clear what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with the customer. <laughs> exactly. It's that quarterly, you know, stock performance. But then you start, you start to look at some companies like Whole Foods, and I'm more familiar with, with many of the consumer, you know, B2C kind of brands, you know, but that, that's what they talk about. And, and the interesting thing is is that I see more B2B driven, purpose-driven brands. And I used to I used to think it was it was because purpose was so important, you know, that that they were pursuing this. And and what I realized it's that they were pursuing purpose because profit mattered. And they understood that the way that they were pursuing profit in the past was no longer going to get them to the level of business performance that they were seeking and actually needed to get to anymore unless they started to shift how they did business and were more focused on purpose. And when you, when you look at these companies, the ones that are the, the legacy companies that are high performing over long periods of time, the perpetual innovators, they are very purpose-driven. And that's the same thing that I believe is the case for leadership as well. If leadership doesn't shift how they operate from the old models we've had for 100, 150 years to a trusted leadership model, they will not be able to be successful either because the things have changed yeah. far too much. I agree. And, and it sounds, it sounds, I'll say it kind of easy to say, oh, we just have to go with purpose. All right. Well, then that next tier though is what values drive the behavior to make sure that that purpose happens. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets down into the nitty gritty of performance that people can start to sink their teeth into is that if you say, okay, if this is our, if this is our purpose, what values do we have? Do we need to have that support that purpose? Now, what behavior will we hire, fire, reprimand, and reward against that ensure those values show up every single day? And I have clients who, who have gone through this process and we've worked on their purpose and then we articulate the values 
And then we look at that. Okay, as we're going through the recruiting process, what's the messaging that we have? It can't just be the same thing that you've always done with a new tagline or a new slogan. It's a different message based on the purpose and the values and how you show up and making it clear that you, you're not just a person, uh, an organization that talks about the values, but this is truly how you do business. It's how you evaluate people. It's how you look at team interactions. It's how you look at conflict. It's how you look at um, top performance. And, and it's how you look at, at leadership and celebrating the examples when people exhibit these values day in and day out and showing what those small wins are until you have the cumulative story of, of the bigger wins that happen. But you will see a financial performance as long as you're genuine and true to them. I find that fascinating that um, the things that we know really work to create momentum. Uh, now businesses are beginning to see that those are the things they need to do in order to become profitable. Right. <laughs> it is. I, I think that's not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to be honest, like money is what gets people's attention. Right. But, yeah. but to think that that purpose and values are, a you know, nice warm bath, but we've got real business to do. And so we'll, you know, set that aside. This is the real business. Like today, this is the real business. It, it is. And I, I see many uh, CEOs and, and director level people who talk about values, but they're like a piece of paper on the wall. They're not really the values by which they operate. And, and I've heard several CEOs of startups or fast growing, very, very fast growing businesses go, you know, when I finally exited and sold my business, I realized that what I failed to do was figure out my culture. And so it was a good thing they sold. <laughs> <laughs> because that would have caught them pretty quick after that. Because these, these are the things that create the culture. What, what you believe determines how you behave. And that determines how people interact. And, and that is what creates culture. Absolutely. And how you tell that story. That's why the culture shaper as an archetype is so important. Because... If you want to change the culture that my friend, Michael Margolis, who's a fantastic storyteller, he talks about, if you want to change the culture, change the stories that you tell. That sounds perfect. Now mm -hmm. I wanted to, I just wanted to chat a little bit about, I know you just emceed a really big two day summit and you listen to everybody. And I just want all these digital marketing experts, the top ones on the planet. Uh, what, what did you walk away with? You know, it was a, I felt so privileged to be a part of this event. It was for my client Sunstar and their, um, their European group collaborated to put on this event. It was a collaboration between HR public relations and their um, digital strategy, strategy group. And what they're looking at is elevating the company by looking at how they continue on their digital transformation journey. So they're looking at how, how, what do we need to know internally as a company, not just as marketers or HR people or PR people, what do we need to know about this journey that we're on, learn from people who are experts in this around the world, such as yourself, and start to think differently so we, so we act differently so we can continue on this journey. And I think one of the strongest messages that came out across the board, and, and this was interesting, was how many times people talked about 
the way that you get through transformation successfully is having an open culture that allows people to contribute in a way that's natural for them. And in order to do that, you have to have trust. Because if we look at transformation, whether it's digital transformation or business transformation, as far as a business model or, or you know, innovation, looking at how we do things differently, there's so much about business today that has changed so fast in this last year. And the, I, give, I give my clients, I'm sorry, a huge amount of, of kudos because they open this conversation to every single employee globally. It, it, and so anyone was allowed to attend or they could watch it after the fact. And so they're, they're creating this environment of, of trust to say, these are things that you need to know every single day when you do your job. It's not just for a few isolated people who are the frontline workers in whatever this area is. We, we trust that, that you will take this information and you'll understand how to you know, implement it every day. And they have a plan for ongoing training and conversations on all of these topics. But it was so interesting to watch how all of the attendees were so eager to contribute and to discuss things in chat and afterwards. And it was, it was a fantastic opportunity to understand. And, and this was the theme of their, their event this year, Elevate, to elevate not only the experience that their company delivers to every customer, but to elevate the understanding of why this is important and to elevate people's interest and excitement and participation in, in making this happen. And I think that's that's something that then rolls into the other 363 days of the year is we all now understand why we're on this journey and, and why it matters and, and now understand some of these tactical things that we can do every single day. So then when you have those conversations in, in team meetings, they have a completely different dynamic because everybody's on a page together, understanding the journey in a greater depth. I love the idea too, because years ago, um, I was a part of a, a group that was working on creating uh, impro- improvement in labor relations uh, across the country, really across the world. And one of the things that we created was this joint learning so that you could learn together, create a common models, common language, and that created a cohesion that really helped them to talk, uh, especially if there was conflict. Uh, they had they had ways that they could then work together. And I think that uh, Sunstar sounds like they've done a lot of that, just planting some seeds for some common models, common language, common things that they're going to work towards together that will elevate them across all the different countries that were, were represented. I, I think it's going to be awesome to watch over the next two or three years. I agree. I agree. They're just doing some fantastic things. And that, and I also, I think it's also a reflection of their culture of trust, of how willing they're, they are to talk about this externally, including some of the things that didn't go well. And I know I've seen companies get up and talk about their transformation journey or whatever journey, but you know, what didn't go well is always kind of glossed over. And I, that's what I really appreciate and respect about this group is they're, you know, they'll, they'll tell you the story warts and all. And I think that yeah. that stems from a, a fair amount of trust. Well, that is, again, transparency is trust. Yeah. Right. I always ask the, my, uh, my guests one last question. So what is your best advice that things that somebody could do today to begin to build more innovation? 
I would say that my advice to start today is to raise your awareness. And that can come in a couple different ways. It's like we talked earlier, be more observant to the world around you. It can be raise your awareness as in listen more and talk less. Because I think there's a lot of things that you'll start to hear that you didn't before, whether it's other people's ideas or other people's perspectives. Um, awareness of little, little changes, little ideas, little things along the way that maybe you didn't notice before. One of the um, things that I like to do when I start working with a client is ask them a one question survey. And that is, does my boss support the idea? Does my boss support my ideas? And I think even understand having an awareness of that, of how often people bring ideas to you to hear or don't bring those ideas is an important aspect of awareness because you start to realize, hmm, people used to come to me with ideas, but now they don't. Why is that? And with that, I think we have a lot to all think about. I so appreciate you being a guest. Uh, I just love uh, your work and what you're doing. And uh, I know I know that what that you're making a huge impact in the in the clients that you're able to work with, and uh, and everybody get the book, the brand new book. This is her tenth book, so rethink innovation. It's you can buy it anywhere that you can get books. So run out and grab that. Uh, you can go to carlajohnson.co and get the assessment. Give it to your team and see where are you guys on the innovation style scale here and uh, what group do you have? You know, maybe, maybe everybody's the same. You can understand why maybe you have the same, come up with the same conflict all the time (laughs) or the same result. So I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Carla. Uh, Sue, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust and that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review wherever you listen to your podcast would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do. Gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudico.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the trusted leader profile. 
Once again, that is www.sudico.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode. 